Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We are in a series called Fully. In this series on whole life stewardship, we are learning what it means to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. Thanks for joining us. I'm Thomas Finney. I'm Ruth Finney. And this is Lila. And she is seven months old. (laughs) We've been learning a lot about Mm -hmm. stewarding relationships and balancing family and work and we have an old house that we're refinishing and there's a lot of things that are like pulling at our attention and our time. And the baby yeah. is like the newest change. Yeah, for the past seven months, our lives have looked radically different. I feel like with each life change, it's easy to like look back at how things were and kind mm. of mourn yeah. that. With each of those changes, like your community is going to look different. And you have to accept that and be content with that. And then and then, and then, then find ways to still reach out and to engage with people, even if it looks different. When we first moved to Springfield, we were moving to a new place and we didn't know anyone. So Ruth had this great idea when we moved into a brand new house to host a housewarming party and introduce ourselves to all of our neighbors. So we made little invitations and we walked around (laughs) and handed out little cards to all of our neighbors because we just, we didn't know anyone. And it was the only way we could think of to tell our neighborhood, hey, we're here and we want to be a part of your community. And I think Jesus, he, he walked around and he told people, drop what you're doing and follow me. He created discipleship. He created community with an invitation. And I think sometimes we have to be the ones to invite, to facilitate um, relationships to happen. We can't just sit back and hope someone's going to come along and invite us to join their group. I think the most challenging part of stewarding relationships well is confronting tension with the end goal of reconciliation rather than just being right. The most rewarding thing about stewarding relationships is having someone around to keep you in check, but then also lift you up and encourage you in ways you didn't even know you needed. So grateful for Ruth and Thomas sharing how important relationships are in their lives and even some of the tips and tools that they use to step into intentional relationships. If you are following along in your notes, we're going to get kicked off right away. We're in a teaching series where we're learning to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. I think what happens sometimes is we separate our lives into silos, my work, my church, my family, my friends. God says, I want it all. I want it all and I'm over it all and we are stewards of that. So we're learning how to give every area of our lives fully to Jesus. And today we're going to talk about how we give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus by stewarding our relationships well. To do that, I want to do three things together, and you can see that outline on your notes this morning. The first thing, we're going to talk about the importance of relationships. Two, the necessity of relationships for spiritual growth. And then three, how we can steward relationships in the way of Jesus. So first, the importance of relationships. If you're following in your notes, we are relational beings... Because we are created in the image of a relational God. Right? We're relational beings, but according to many surveys, current surveys, and I quote, Americans are among the loneliest people in the world. 
The Surgeon General of the United States has even declared loneliness a national health epidemic. I read a study just this weekend that people age 70 and over can go weeks without contact with one other person. Loneliness is an epidemic. There's this book called The Relational Soul. And in that book, the author wrote something. I found this fascinating. He wrote this quote on the screen. It was a quote that stood out to me in the whole book. It says, what does loneliness tell us about ourselves? Be it chronic or acute, slight or significant, lonely is proof of our relational design. At the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships. We were born with a relentless longing to participate in the lives of others. Fundamentally, we are relational souls. We cannot not be relational. We cannot exist well without connection and communion with another. And the sentence that stood out to me in that, loneliness is proof of our relational design. I had never thought of that before, that loneliness, when we experience this pang of loneliness, it points us to the fact that we were created for relationships. I just hadn't thought of that before. Why would the authors make such a strong statement like that? It's a pretty powerful statement. And to find the answer, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. This is the story of creation, how God created the world. And we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's the sixth day of creation. God has been creating for five days, and then we get to the sixth day. And would you read with me Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, in the first grade box on your notes. It says... Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. I'll continue if you're following in your Bibles. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. We're made in the image of God. And I want you to notice the the plural, let us make people in our image to be like us. Maybe you want to circle those plurals in that gray box. We don't have time today to go in depth on the theology of the Trinity, but I want to be very clear, just we all have a working framework. We believe there's one God, In three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call this the Trinity. And the Bible tells us that this one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existed together in perfect unity before the world was created. That is the plural in Genesis 1. And because we were created in the image of God, if you're following in your notes, just as God exists in community... We were created for community. The need for community, listen, it is part of our genetic 
makeup. We're created for community. First and foremost, created and exist. We exist to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe. The one who created us. We all are created with a God-shaped void in our life that can only be filled by having a personal relationship with Jesus. We've all done this though, right? We, we all seek to fill this void in our life. We've all experienced a longing for something more. And that longing can only be filled when we make the decision to follow Jesus. And we can never be fully satisfied with life until we're fully satisfied with a relationship with God. But I think there's another void in our life too. It's a human-shaped void. In Genesis 2, we see the creation story. If you've ever wondered, why are there two different creation stories? We, we have a, a chapter 1 and a chapter 2. Why are they a little bit different? In chapter 2, we get a little bit more in-depth view of creation. And we're told that after God made Adam, this is what he said in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Would you read this with me in the second grade box on your notes? Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Catch this, right? Catch this. This should get our attention. We just read a verse from chapter two in the Bible. Sin doesn't enter the world until chapter three. Adam lived in perfect fellowship, perfect community, Perfect relationship with his creator. He is without sin. Adam has no sin right now in relationship with God. Yet something is still missing. And the word God used to describe this was alone. And he says this aloneness is not good. If you're following in your notes, living life alone is not how God created us to live. None of us were meant to live in isolation, not being known or knowing others deeply. We were created to be relational beings. And I'll give you this. Some of us are extroverts and we love to be around other people. Some of us are introverts and we need to be refilled by time apart from other people. We have varying degrees of relational need, but none of us were meant to live life alone. We were created to live life in community with God and with others. I love how one author put it. I read it this week. He says, in other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. <laughs> we are created for community with God and with one another. We're created for relationships. The second thing we need to talk about is the fact that relationships are necessary for our spiritual growth. We see relationships at the center of Jesus' ministry. If you're following in your notes, Jesus lived in community, and the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to join his community. A pastor who's really helped me the past few years, his name John Tyson, he pastors in New York City, and he wrote this. I want to put this quote on the screen. He says, when Jesus asks us to follow him, he is offering us a relationship with himself in which we will be forgiven of our sins, receive a new heart and a new spirit that longs to obey him and know him intimately. We are then welcomed into his kingdom, his people, and his family. 
But this is a choice which requires leaving behind our personal autonomy and preference-based living so we can enter into an everlasting, committed relationship with God and his people. We were never supposed to do this in isolation. I've heard some people say things like this. The beach is my church. The woods are my church. I've heard people say, well, community is good for others, but my faith is a private thing. And I just want you to know, saying my faith is a private thing is an unbiblical understanding of faith. Faith is personal, but it is never private. Following Jesus means that we are invited to join his community of followers. And I want to be clear, right? You can absolutely connect with God at the beach. You can connect with God in the woods. I do. Those are spiritual, sacred pathways for me. We all have places where we feel like God is a little bit closer. But if you're following in your notes, you cannot grow into spiritual maturity by yourself. You cannot give yourself fully to the way of Jesus without relationships. And I know some of you are sitting there and there's some barriers to why this is difficult. Maybe you are an introvert or you've had a bad experience in the past. You've been hurt. You only have a limited amount of time like Ruth and Thomas with little Lila. And I want to say to anyone who's having those thoughts, don't give up on community and don't minimize the importance of community for your spiritual growth. It's critical. So let me ask you, if you're following in your notes, what is your next step in pursuing intentional relationships? What's your next step so you can grow in your faith? Some of you here, you're already doing this. You're doing a great job of intentionally giving yourself to relationships to grow in your faith. If you're struggling with that, One of our responsibilities as a church is to provide opportunities for you to grow in your faith, to be formed in the way of Jesus, and most of them involve others. We have life groups that you can join to build relationships and go deeper into the message that you hear on Sundays. We have care groups that you can read about in the bulletin today where you can find community as you walk through really difficult issues like divorce, grief, loss, depression, anxiety. We have Bible studies and institute classes where you can join a learning environment and spend time with others who are giving themselves fully to the way of Jesus. Go deeper in his word. If you know you want to take a next step in your faith, here's what I'd say to you. Don't put it off. The the time to respond to the Holy Spirit prompting us is when he prompts us. So if that's you, you can text right now the word group to 217-546-4818, and we can start a conversation with you about what might work best for this season that you're in. If you need to go home today and think about this and pray about it, just write that down. I think it's in your bulletin. You can scan a QR code, or you can go to the Connect Center today to talk to somebody about what your next step might be. But if you sense this prompting, don't put it off. I think back to the times I've grown the most in my spiritual life. I attribute a lot of it to the groups I've been part of. I really do. Those groups have been places where I have learned to pray for others, grieve with others, celebrate together, disagree with one another, but maintain right relationships. I've learned how to practice vulnerability and confess sin. 
I think of the funerals that we went to together. I think of the meals we took each other when babies were born. I think of one of my favorite things was our Thanksgiving dinners when 30 of us would gather in our house and we would take time to go around and everybody thank God for one thing from the smallest kids that could talk to the oldest adults. I couldn't have done any of that by myself. That is spiritual formation with others. And we want to be a people who give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus and his mission by pursuing life together in community. Because we were created for relationships and it is critical for our spiritual growth. And finally, I want to talk about how we steward the relationships God gives us. And what I want us to do here, I just, I, I kind of want us to shift gears just a little bit. Imagine you're in a stick shift. I drove a stick shift last week for the first time in years. So I was thinking about this. We're going to shift gears. So we just talked about relationships that help us grow in our spiritual formation inside the church. What I, I want us to do now, I want us to expand that circle of who we're thinking about in relationship. I want us to think beyond the walls of our church and to the relationships God has given us to steward. Maybe that is our marriage or our family. It's parenting. It's friendships. It's neighbors. It's coworkers. It's teammates. It's fellow students. It's strangers we run into. And it's relationships with people that we are praying for to know Jesus personally. Have you shifted? We're expanding who we're thinking about here and how we steward our relationships well in the way of Jesus for the glory of God. To do that, I'm going to ask you to flip over to the New Testament book of Colossians. You're just going to flip to the right. You're going to go through the Old Testament, go past the four Gospels until you get to Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. I saw Jessica in here. I need her to come up here and do a sword drill for us or something. Colossians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church in Colossae. And in this letter, Paul is teaching us how to live according to our identity in Christ. This is the way Paul frequently taught. He would always say, this is who you are. Now live out of that Identity, And to do that, he's going to use an illustration we're all familiar with, getting dressed. Getting dressed. Uh, this is a, a special verse to me. Our family chose this verse a couple years ago as a verse that we wanted to live with the entire year because we were finding ourselves not relating rightly. And so we focused on this verse. So with that in mind, let's read together how we can steward our relationships. I'm going to put this on the screen. Would you read this with me? This is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. 
We're going to walk through this verse in just a second. But I want to give a couple foundational principles before we get there. The, the first thing we need to know, if you're following in your notes, is that God dresses us. God dresses us. That sounds funny. But what we just read does not mean that we try harder and harder to be more compassionate and more kind and more loving. Have you ever tried this? I'm just going to be more loving today around the person I can't stand. How does that go for you? It's a recipe for disaster. Right, It leads to us feeling like a failure. Then we experience shame because we just didn't get it right. And then it could even lead to disappointment with God. How this works is God brings about these characteristics, these virtues in our life as we spend time with him in word and prayer. He brings them into our lives in greater measure. There's a lot of similarity between these verses and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Only God, through the Holy Spirit, provides this fruit in our lives. But we have a role to play. This is the mystery. If we ask God for patience, we have to have a posture where we're willing to put that into practice. And just as a little warning, if you ask for patience, you're probably going to be put in situations where you are tested and trained to grow in that. We have to have a posture of willingness to be changed if we want God to do the deep work in us. But make no mistake about it, God brings these virtues into our life. We can't try hard enough. The second thing we need to know, we are responsible for ourselves If you're following in your notes, we are responsible for ourselves. And what I mean by that, and I'll just say it again because we need to hear it, we are only responsible for ourselves and our willingness to put on these clothes and to steward our relationship in the way of Jesus. We can't dress other people. But I want so badly for the other person to be compassionate and loving and kind. And I'm not responsible for that. And that's going to lead to another dead end. I'm only responsible for how I steward the relationships God gave me. Three, although we're responsible for ourselves, if you're following your notes, these clothes can only be worn in community. In relationships, it would be way easier to be kind if it didn't involve people. It'd be way easier to be compassionate and loving. I I like myself. It's just hard to like other people sometimes. It requires others. These are clothes that we wear in community. And I'll say it again, as followers of Jesus, we become more like him in community. We can't grow into spiritual growth like Jesus by ourselves. And number four, the verb that we're going to see in a minute, it's clothe yourselves. It's a present imperative, which means if you're following in your notes, we keep putting them on. I believe it's why Paul used a clothing illustration because it's something we do every day. It is a daily prayer that we pray and a daily choice. We do this over and over. So with those four foundational principles in mind, let's look at this wardrobe. And what Paul does is he starts.
starts by reminding us of our identity. Paul says, you are a chosen people. You're God's chosen people. You're holy and dearly loved. I just want to pause right here and say this to everyone here. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. You are God's chosen child, holy and dearly loved. Maybe somebody here today, you just need to hear that. You are dearly loved by the creator of the universe. The one who put all the stars in space, created you, knows you, and loves you. That is your identity. And this is so important to get right. It's why Paul writes this way. If we, we have to start from a place of identity and live out of that identity, because if we try to find our identity by the things we do, it is a recipe for burnout. We don't live a certain way to earn God's love. We live the way of Jesus because we are loved, right? We don't work for love. We work from a place of love. Paul reminds us of our identity before he ever tells us what to put on. And then he says, clothe yourselves. And now he's going to walk through the clothes, the wardrobe that we are to wear as representatives of Jesus that God brings about in our life. The first one, if you're following your notes, and we're going to walk through these pretty quickly. Compassion. If you're following your notes, it's heartfelt concern for others. Heartfelt concern. It's the word most often used in the New Testament to describe the emotional state of Jesus. Concern for others. Do we notice others? Are we concerned about others? Do we ask good questions of others? Or are we more concerned about ourselves? We treat others with compassion. Is that our orientation? We clothe ourselves with kindness. If you're following in your notes, it's an orientation of our hearts toward others even when they don't deserve it and even when they don't love us in return it's a genuine care and concern might be a spoken word might be an act of kindness we're told in romans chapter 2 verse 4 that god's kindness leads to repentance is that how we treat others We clothe ourselves with humility. If you're following in your notes, it's not seeing ourselves as better than others. It's a perspective that sees the value in all people because all people are created in the image of God. It's this recognition that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. A Savior, by the way, who's described as humble in Philippians chapter 2. We clothe ourselves with gentleness. If you're following in your notes, it's a soft response toward others. It's a soft response. Did you know Jesus described himself as gentle and lowly in Matthew eleven twenty nine? Don't confuse gentleness and weakness. Gentleness is strength under control. This is when you feel like reacting one way, but you respond differently. You want to speak harshly or sarcastically, but you hit the pause button and respond gently. I love this quote by Andreas Lindemann that I ran across this week. He says, gentleness is the power which, in a situation of conflict, enables us to criticize another's conduct so that they experience it as help and not as condemnation. Man, do I want to get better at that. God, bring that 
in my life. We clothe ourselves with patience. If you're following in your notes, it's a measured response to others. A measured response, especially in the face of opposition. This might happen when you are driving your car. This might happen with somebody at work. It might happen with a family member. Is our response measured or is it just a reaction that's off the handle? God has been patient with us and we frequently stink at extending that patience to others. As we live the way of Jesus and steward our relationships, we are to put on patience. Verse 13 flows out of patience. It says, bear with each other. Bear with each other. If you're following your notes, it means go the distance with others. Go the distance. I want to be really clear here. I'm not talking about abusive relationships or a toxic environment that you find yourself in. You do not need to go the distance in that relationship. You should talk to somebody and seek help. What I'm talking about is in the context of most of our relationships, we lovingly and we patiently dialogue with others, especially when we don't agree on things. We bear with each other. For followers of Jesus, there is no cancel culture. It's possible, I believe this, it is possible with the help of Jesus to disagree with someone strongly and not hate them and make them an enemy. It is possible. We bear with each other, and if you're following in your notes, we forgive each other. We forgive each other. Verse 13 continues. I think... Maybe on the screen it says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. He says, to be a Christian means to get, forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. I've thought about this. If I wasn't a follower of Jesus, I'd have no motive to forgive anybody. None at all. The fact that I've been forgiven by Jesus is my only motive to forgive others who have hurt me or offended me or taken something from me. And if you're here and you're thinking, I can't forgive this person, I'm not going to forgive them because what they did to me is not right. Jesus would agree with your statement that it's not right. And our forgiveness does not excuse someone's sin. It doesn't mean that they were right in what they did. It doesn't mean that relationship has to return to what it once was. Forgiveness is way more about the forgiver than the one being forgiven because it prevents resentment from growing in our lives. Forgiveness is cutting someone loose from what they took from us or what they owe us. I love this quote from Beth Moore, a Bible teacher. She says, forgiving won't make the offense all right. It will make you all right. We forgive each other because we've been forgiven. And finally, we finish getting dressed. The last piece of clothing we put on over everything else, verse 14, says this. Would you read this with me on the screen? And over all these virtues... Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If you're following your notes, above all, we love each other. 
We love each other. It is the supreme quality that we're to demonstrate. But the word love can be confusing. It means all sorts of things. And most of the time, we, we take it to, it's a feeling. I think one of the best definitions of love was written by Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City. He says this, love is an action. Love is not a feeling. Love is giving somebody what's best for them, no matter what it costs you. That's love. His definition sounds a lot like the love of Jesus clearly demonstrated in Scripture. I want to give you three Scriptures that show us the love of Christ, where Jesus gave us what was best for us no matter what it cost him. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. First John 4.10 says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Love is an action. It's not just a feeling. If it's just this feeling where I feel love towards something, but I don't act on it, then it's not love. Jesus could have thought, well, I should really go to the cross and die for the forgiveness of sin, but if He never did it, it wouldn't be love. It is a proactive concern for others, even when we don't feel like it. And this is so important. The church is to be the place that demonstrates the love of God. And our love is to be a sign of who God is and what his nature is like. Our love is to burn so bright that when the world sees our love for each other, they begin to question the reality of a God that might exist. Before Jesus died, he left this command for his followers, for us. Gathered in this room, this is what Jesus said to us in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Would you read this with me? A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And what this means is I found myself praying for myself, for our church. We can pray this, right? God, would you help me love people more? Would you help me love them more? It's a prayer he's willing to answer if we're willing to ask and then make ourselves available. And here's the reason putting on these clothes is so important. Jesus said, we will be known by how we love each other. Putting on these clothes is so important because I don't know if you've noticed or not. Maybe you haven't. Our culture tells us to get dressed in a different set of clothes. I rewrote these verses in Colossians based on what I think our culture says to us. This is what culture says. Therefore, take care of and protect yourself. Clothe yourselves with indifference Meanness, pride, harshness, and impatience. Cancel each other if you disagree with each other. Do not forgive and hold grudges if any of you has a grievance against someone. And over all these vices, put on hatred, which binds them all together. That's the culture we live in. And as followers of Jesus, we're to wear a different set of clothes. 
We're to wear a different set of clothes, and the clothes we wear help form us to become like Jesus and represent him well to a community and world that needs him desperately. If we want to have a voice, then these are the clothes we wear to have that voice. So here's the question we need to ask. If you're following in your notes, what article or articles of clothing do I need to put on? And I I made that plural because there's days where I need a whole new wardrobe before 8 a.m. I I just notice this in my life. And, And so what virtues or characteristics do you notice in your life that you need to grow in and steward So you can represent Jesus well. That you can steward your relationships in the way of Jesus. So we want to give you just a moment. We always try to do this to give you a chance to be a doer of the word. Like Chuck said earlier, not just a hearer of the word. We want to practice this in this room. And then you can practice it throughout the week. God, what is it that I'm lacking? What article of clothing am I missing? And would you bring it about in greater measure in my life so I can steward relationships well? What is that for you? I believe if you ask him, he will show you and he will give it to you in greater measure. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, visit our website or find us on Facebook. Have a great day.